Shankly Kids. I heard a copy calling. Hello and welcome to the Cop Table Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Phillips. Tonight we are previewing the Swansea City game on Saturday at the Liberty Stadium. On tonight's show, we have Stu Wright. Stu has previously helped out on the uh, the cop table on a co- couple of occasions with myself. Stu is a co-contributor to the Anfield Rap. Big Reds fan. Welcome to the show once again, Stu. Cheers, Pete. Looking forward Very welcome. On the Swansea side of things tonight, we have Stephen Carroll. Stephen is a host on the Swansea City podcast called The Jack Cast. Stephen is also the editor of the, the Swansea O oh, Swansea fanzine. So, very warm welcome to the show to yourself, Stephen. I am. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome, pal. On uh, Also on tonight's show, we're going to do something slightly different than what we usually do. We have um, Adam Fielder on the show tonight. Adam is a, a Liverpool fan, but he also is a commentator for Swansea City. So, we've brought him on to provide uh, an opinion on both sides of um, both sides of the coin. So, very warm wel- welcome to the show uh, to yourself, Adam. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me on. Excellent stuff. Okay, we're going to start off uh, with yourself, Stu. Looking back at the the game against Hull at the weekend, obviously Liverpool showed exactly how to play the, the high pressing game against Hull, didn't he? Seems like the numerical formation seems to have a like a secondary role in operating within the team, doesn't it? They're all they're all making the formation appear fluid at the same time, disciplined. And flexible. It's it's technical stuff, but are you are you happy with this um, this system that Klopp's using at the moment? Yeah, yeah, very very much so. Uh, to be honest, it's um, it's a case of the team is now the star uh, rather than any one individual. They are really playing, they're moving as a unit. Everyone is in unison. Everyone has a clear picture of what they're supposed to be doing and and you know what what part they have to play in the process. I, I don't think. That formations are too important to clock. It's more a case of making sure that everyone understands their role within the given formation on that day and their their, their role within any given moment. Yeah. Um. So I, I, it's I'm quite surprised actually because I was expecting um to that Liverpool would become very much a four two three one team again, uh, a la a la Dortmund. It's a pleasant surprise. I, I think other teams are going to find it very difficult to work out how to, to combat us, really, because they don't know where people are going to be on the pitch at any given moment. We're so fluid, uh, and they've, they've just got options from all angles. It's, it's fantastic stuff. Yeah, like you say, that that's one thing that, that strikes me as well. Opposition teams are, are going to find it very... They, got, they can analyse that performance on Saturday, and they could they probably stood, stood there scratching their heads. Like Curtis Davis said, if, you, if you're watching Firmino, you've got Coutinho running on the other side, yeah, or you've got... You've got Kleiner on the wing. He said, he said your head's on, on like a, on a spindle type of thing. He's just looking everywhere and there's, there's just no way that they can combat it without putting, like you say, 11, 10 men behind the ball. It's fantastic that that's, that's already out there amongst opposition players. The more we hear that in the press, um, the better I think we want that reputation where teams are facing us, whether it's home or away, and they know they're up against it. They know they're in for, you know, 90 minutes of an absolute nightmare scenario where they're going to have problems in, in every part of the pitch. I think that, you know, the more that reputation is out there, the, the more you're, you're almost a goal up before the, before the game starts. I always remember how, I hate mentioning this, but I always remember how teams used to feel playing Man United under, under Ferguson. There was a lot of teams that you felt were, were ready to roll over and die before the first whistle. Yeah, and they would yeah. have they would have left you know happily with a, a one or two nil defeat just just wanting to avoid being humiliated 
just want to want to get through it unscathed. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of that at the moment. It's very early in, in the season, but there's very much a talk out there, I think, of, of of teams not wanting to face us. And to be honest, they can understand why. When you look when you look at around at the table at the moment, you look around the top teams, the lower teams, whoever, who really is going to be looking at Liverpool's performances this season and, and, and licking the lips and wanting to play against. There's not many out there that are going to fancy us, if anyone. Excellent stuff. Spot on, Stu. OK, then we're going to head over to uh, to Stephen now. Stephen, after uh, a 3-1 defeat at home to Manchester City um, at the weekend, Guidel and the manager spoke of needing to improve, but by all accounts, Swansea played quite well in that game and after I'd read a few match reports, showed signs of, of belief and, and playing as a team uh, more so than they have done for the prior to this game this season. Would you agree with that, Stephen? Uh, yes, definitely. I was very fearful um, on Saturday that Man City were going to come uh, down to South Wales and run riot, but it didn't really happen um, for the first time, really. Uh, I'd say it was the best that Swansea have played this season. There seemed to be a clear idea of what we wanted to do. Leon Britton was put back into the team. He might not be a massive name to um, a lot of other teams, but he just keeps things ticking over. He never gives the ball away. He's always an option for someone. And he's really missed when he doesn't play. And it's quite worrying, really, for Swansea that he's 34 years old now and obviously coming towards the end of his career. But he's still arguably one of our best players. Like I say, it's going to be difficult to replace him. But luckily now the manager decided to put him back in. That was a big thing. Um, one or two other players were dropped and a couple of changes and it seemed to work really. So it was encouraging. Uh, obviously, I know we still ended up uh, losing, which is disappointing, but I think the way Manchester City have been playing at the moment, it, it was very um, expectant, obviously, that no matter what would happen, that we would lose the game. But there were a lot more positives, I think, really, than um, anyone was expecting. So I think despite the results, I think the fans are feeling a little bit more optimistic now than they were this time last week. Yeah, it was it was the Wales online where I, where I read the match report and they was there was full of praise for Fernando Lorente saying his hold up play was very good and he was instrumental in most of Swansea's attack. More involved in the games that he that he has been previously. Um, how did you see his performance on Saturday? Yeah, I mean he did well. He's been quite isolated in the the previous games, to be honest. And I think that's been. The real issue for Laurent, I mean, he's a big guy, he's about six foot five, but the problem is at Swansea, a lot of the wide players, their crossing isn't particularly good. And because of that, then obviously, I mean, he's a big guy, he's not going to really be able to show his prowess in the air, but um, he hasn't really had many sh- uh, shots. A lot of his efforts have been the odd header, but um, we did see the other day when he does get a chance that um, obviously he can put it away. I mean, it, was a, it was a very clean and uh, great strike, really, the, for his goal, and obviously it's his first for the club. Hopefully it'll be a few more. But yeah, it's, it seemed to give him confidence. I mean, that, that often happens with strikers, doesn't it? I mean, they'll get a goal. Um, and obviously it's happened for him early in the game. And then he did seem uh, a lot more busy, really. He was more involved in the game. Like I say, his hold-up play was good. And it was generally encouraging. I mean, it may also be something to do with the fact that now uh, Borja Baston is now fit. Our record signing for £15 million. And obviously, before that, Lorente had a free reign, really. Because obviously he was the only senior striker at the club he was obviously going to be first choice whereas now maybe he's been kept a bit on his toes by the fact that Baston is now fit and he thinks right well if I don't uh, start showing something I've got to um, obviously I'll be end up being dropped so that was encouraging uh, hopefully more of the same at the weekend now because I would have thought um, he's done enough to um, keep his place for the game against you guys at the weekend Excellent Chase Stephen yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about the guy Baston the, um, your record signing get us a bit of uh, information on him um, well, he's come from Atletico Madrid, but he hasn't really played a great deal. Um, 
Ibar in La Liga last season, one of the lesser teams in the league, but he got 18 goals. Um, so obviously that's very encouraging, really, that he did really well for a small team. It's a bit of a surprise, really, that Atletico letting him go because they've got this transfer ban coming in and you think, well, a player that gets 18 goals, uh, especially one that's quite young, you'd think would be able to come in. We haven't seen a great deal of him yet. Um, he came on as a sub against Southampton. He was largely anonymous, but that's partly because on that day we were so poor and he only had 10 minutes anyway. He started the League Cup game against Man City last week and he did seem quite good. I mean, he was getting involved a lot in the play. He had a couple of chances. Um, like I said, we haven't seen a great deal of him at this stage. I mean, there's a lot of high hopes for him because of the amount of money that's been spent and obviously that he scored a lot of goals for you know a lesser side last season. But um, it's difficult to really judge him at this stage, like I said, because we haven't seen enough of him. But... Um, Hopefully now, over the next few weeks, he's fully fit. Um, we'll see what he's all about. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Stephen. OK, we're going to bring uh, Adam into the into the proceedings now. OK, Adam, just like to, first of all, on the a Liverpool question for yourself, what do you make of uh, Mamadou Sakho's comments at the weekend on their social media? Do you believe his Liverpool career is now finally over? I think I do, probably. I think it's fairly obvious that he's got some kind of attitude problem and I quite rate the fact that Jurgen Klopp, he just takes no prisoners. I remember reading a story about Pep Guardiola. Someone in training turned up late and he just sent him away, just sent him home. And you kind of get the impression that Jurgen Klopp's a bit the same. He's ruthless. And to be honest, the way that Joel Matip's come in, I don't think, you know, I think he's been absolutely fantastic considering he was a a free transfer. And obviously you've then got Dan Lovren, who was a bit of a laughing stock, wasn't he, when he first came in for big money from Southampton and he was making... loads of mistakes and I think a lot of people thought it was a bit of a waste of money on him but he looks a new player even Ranyar Klavan who's come in from Augsburg for not a great amount of money he looks good as well and so there are options at the back now and I think Sacco's definitely he's definitely gonna have to um gonna have to think about his next move because uh, it was just so stupid wasn't it what he did on on Snapchat I don't know why he was doing that because the kind of he kind of gone away. All that speculation about him, and uh, he was in the news a lot a few months ago. But for the, over the last month or so, it kind of gone a bit quiet, and he maybe got the impression that he was working hard in training, and he might actually be brought back into the squad at some stage. And then he goes and does that, and he's kind of back to back to square one again. So I'd be I'd be very surprised if we see him in a Liverpool shirt. Certainly this year. I don't know what Klopp's going to do. Whether he'll just send him to the reserves, whether Saka would want to do that, I'm not sure. But it's a shame because, you know, the Liverpool fans used to, he was a bit of a hero, wasn't he? Uh, he was a cult hero, yeah. He was, yeah. But um, no, I think he's let himself down a bit, which is uh, which is unfortunate. I think it's 99.9% of the, of the fan base at Liverpool now is going to back any any decision that Jürgen Klopp makes, isn't it? It's, a, it's one of them. If you step out of line now, it's, it's game over. You're not coming back into that squad. He even gave Saka a chance, didn't he? And he said to him, look, Pushing him out on for a loan or a move in January, Sacco's turned around and said he wants to stay fight for his place. Klopp said, "Fair enough, come back into the into the training." He's been training with the first team squad, and now um, now he's turned around on three a.m. in the morning, done this stupid social media rant saying that the, he, the people are going to know the truth in the future and there's lies and all sorts of things. What's what's your take on it, Stu? Really sad about it, to be honest with you. Um, but if we look back at Mamadou Sacco's history. He's got form for it. He was known at PSG to have an immature side to 
to him and a lack of professionalism on more than one occasion. There was questions about his eating habits. There was questions about his ill discipline at times. And I think that if, if any of us questioned Klopp's reaction on the, the pre-season tour in sending him home, I think it's, it's proven now that he was justified. We've got, we've got a situation as well where he has, he's been, he's been let off the, off the hook really in regarding the ban. Yeah. But he should have disclosed to the club doctors before taking anything, any kind of dietary supplements. And he didn't do that. So Liverpool were, were in the dark. And that, that this leads back to questions over his, his dietary habits in the past. And I think to have got out of that situation, then being accommodated on tour, and then to to behave in a way that he did. I mean, we only saw snippets. We only saw a little bit of the um, the stuff on social media where he was clowning around when Klopp was getting interviewed. Yeah. But there must have been more to it. That you can only imagine that there was more to it. He, I heard you know that he was he was he missed physio sessions. He was late for team meetings, stuff like that. Just just acting in an unprofessional manner. He nearly missed the plane, didn't he? Through through um, apparently he was partying in Liverpool the night before. So what what does that what does that tell the manager? What does that what does that say to his teammates in, in how much respect he has for them and and the the team building process that they're meant to be going through at that part of the season? I mean, Klopp put a lot of store in that team building process during pre season, and to have that going on to be sent home for unprofessional behaviour, and then to do this for me, he's he's past the point of no return now. There's I, I just cannot see a way back for him. I'll be amazed. If he manages to turn things round at the club, I really will. Which is which is sad because you know that he seems like a, a nice fella. He's clearly got talent. Everyone around the city who's met him says he's an absolutely brilliant fella. From the moment he got to the club, he was going into the primary school at Anfield. You know, with with, with uh, without making any announcements, he was doing that for a long time and uh, doing French lessons. He's done the uh, give an hour where he's gone and helped paint someone's house. You know, he's he's very much tried to to make himself part of the the community, but. Regardless of that, you, you cannot behave in such an unprofessional manner at this level of elite sport. You just cannot do it. It's odd you say he's got form of being immature. It's weird because he was, wasn't he Paris Saint-Germain's youngest ever captain at one stage? Yeah, so, 17, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he must have shown a huge amount of leadership and maturity for such a young kid because you can't imagine Paris Saint-Germain such a big club. Okay, they may not have been as big a club as they are now with all their investment they've had back then, but... You know, he must have shown a huge amount of leadership and maturity to actually be offered the captaincy at such a young age. So I don't I know think, what has what has gone showed, wrong. I think he showed leadership. I think he was very much, you know, a, a heart on his sleeve type of player. But in terms of maturity, I don't think that's ever been the case. And there were a few articles, one in particular that comes to mind that, that um, forewarned this, really, when he left PSG and came to Liverpool. From the press over there, documents in his career and, and, and the problems that he'd had, what had led to them letting him go. And you have to ask yourself the question, why they would, why would, they would let a Paris lad, a Parisian lad, leave his hometown club when he didn't want to go for not a huge price in this day and age? They were ready to cut their losses, um, and 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 it wasn't Saka wanting to get out the club. It wasn't like he was pushing for the exit door. There was a, there was a catalogue of incidents that had gone on behind the scenes, and the information is out there. If 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 you can find the articles out there, it is there. And I just think now that it's come home to roost with him a little bit. I think his next move is going to be very decisive within his career. 
um, because it's going to be very difficult for him to go to a, a, another club at the, the level of Liverpool or PSG. I think he'll be very much in a situation where he is on his last chance wherever he goes because certainly because of the um, of the, the the dietary supplements issue, he is tainted goods now, which is very very sad to say for such a talented player and such a charismatic fella. Um, he's got a lot of growing up to do, which I hope he does. I hope he does. I hope he proves me wrong. Maybe that's why they gave him the captaincy. They might have thought that you know may actually to help him. Yeah, apps. don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what is he now? Twenty four. 24, 25, he's not a kid anymore and he's, he's got to start realising the responsibilities he has, not just to himself, but to the sportsmen around him and the management setup around him at any top-level elite club that he's at. It is, they're in a very privileged position, these footballers, as we all know. But if you, if you want to comp- compete for, for honours at the top end of the Premiership and at the top end of, of competitions in Europe, you have to show that level of self-discipline and that level of commitment, which I'm afraid... Seems to be lacking. When you look at when you look at Rogers, as well, Rogers wasn't a huge fan of him, and there was problems there uh, last season and pre-season when um, Rogers was leaving him out with the team, and it was it came out that it was because of problems with his weight. Now I was fascinated by that because it doesn't look like there's an ounce on him; he just looks pure muscle. But there was issues then behind the scenes of the club. They had problems with his weight, and then we saw what happened towards the end of the season and. What really surprised me is that these weight issues, they they are you can track them back in his career pre Liverpool at Paris Saint Germain. Yeah, that's it. It just doesn't seem to to have grasped the situation, does he, Stu? Like he, obviously you say he's an he's an elite sportsman. He's in he's at the top of the professional game here. His attitude is is not on the same level as what it should be to a lot of the other lads. Like like you say, like your Jordan Henderson's who. You don't even drink alcohol, Lalanas. They, they just drink water and fruit juice, and it's it's one of them, isn't it? He's got a he's got to take a long, hard look at himself, and if he wants his career to get back on track, he's going to have to make a lot of changes um, in the future for himself. It's stupid things, Pete. I mean, listen, I can only go on what I've read, but from what I've read, I've all been from from reliable um, sources that have been well researched, and it's stupid things like um, fast food. You know, you can't stay off the fast food and you can't overcome these things by just relying on dietary supplements and expect, you know, your body to maintain the physical shape that you need to be at the elite level sport. And when we look at now, I think it was Ancelotti who let him go at Paris Saint-Germain, if I remember rightly. You know, Rogers wasn't a fan. And now Jürgen Klopp has made a decision very, very quickly. Jürgen Klopp seems very, he seems to be the type of manager who will give you a lot of chances Mm-hmm. He'll give you chances, but when the time comes, he's prepared to be ruthless. And I think he's made his mind up now about uh, about Mamadou Sacco. And, uh, and uh, for Mamadou Sacco to do this at three a.m. the night before a game, when when Klopp has been at pains to say in the past that no player who's left out of the team should ever come to him the day before a game to complain that he's not in the team. He can do it the following week. He's been very clear that where his mind is at and where all players, including players who aren't picked, where their mind should be at in the 24 hours before the game is concentrating on the game and concentrating on supporting their teammates. For him to do it then just seems the height of stupidity. It seems almost antagonistic. It seems like like Sacco was trying to force the issue here. You know, That's just speculation. That's just my opinion. Excellent. Cheers, Stu. And uh, Adam, for your thoughts on uh, the Sacco situation there. Yeah, we uh, took a real in-depth look into that one. Okay, back over to yourself, Stephen. Uh, Swansea's lineup on Sunday. How do you see the, do you see 
many changes being made to the to the starting eleven, or do you think it'll be pretty much the same team that faced uh, Manchester City at the weekend? I'd have thought it would be the same team, to be honest with you, because, like I said, Swansea did quite well um, in the game just gone, so I'd have thought everybody would keep their place, really. I mean, there's always a chance that one or two, I suppose, could push, depending on what happens in training this week, which I think the likes of, I suppose we did go with Kyle Norton at left-back, which is a bit of a surprise because he's usually more of a right-back, but like I say, he did quite well, so I'd have thought he would keep his place, but I suppose if uh, the manager wanted to go with a natural left-footer, then he's got Neil Taylor or uh, Stephen Kingsley to come in there. I suppose Mo Barrow is another one that could come in if we wanted to play with wingers, but again, I don't think he will. And then it's the same with Boyer Baston if the manager thinks he's ready to start a game in the league. But like I said, Fernando Llorente had quite a good game. So I would think it would be the same team, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think anyone could really say that that would be unfair given that most of the players um, put in a, um, a good performance um, in the defeat to Manchester City. Yeah, there was a little bit of controversy a couple of games back, wasn't it, with Neil Taylor when he was substituted before half-time? Is that situation all settled down now? It seems to be um, all settled. Um, like I said, I, I don't think it's been a, a massive deal, really. I mean, he, the following week he, he didn't play, but then he did play in the League Cup game, so you'd have thought that if um, the manager had a problem with him that he would have been just um, dropped and wouldn't have played since. But there's, there was another issue, really, with um, with Ki Sung Young as well at Southampton. He wasn't very happy when he was substituted, but I don't think there's been an issue with that either, really. Um, he played in the League Cup game and then he came off the bench on Saturday. So I think whatever grievances that may have been um, had um, were cleared up quite quickly, really. Yeah, it seems like it's uh, Guidel and he seems to get a bit of um, a hold on a situation like that pretty much straight away. Pretty Like Klopp, we were talking about with Sacco, if, if anyone shows a little bit of disrespect, he deals with them and he showed with Neil Taylor that he's been left out and the same with Ki Sung Young. He's... Um, He's done the same to him. Is that a pretty much a trait of his as well? It seems to be really. Um, I, th- I think, to be honest, with you, behind the scenes, a lot of the, the I, I don't think uh, many of the players have a great deal of respect for this manager. Reading between the lines, um, right? Per, I know there's been a lot of speculation about his position. I don't think he's going to be here for too much longer. It probably would be a little bit harsh at this stage for me. He probably shouldn't have had the job in the summer. I would have brought well, Brendan Rodgers was my choice. Uh, to come back in, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, but to be See, honest with you, it's, did, it's a bit odd really now that well. he's in such danger. Whereas you look at the fixture list that we've had, it was always going to be a very difficult start for Swansea this season because, like I said, we've now we've faced Man City, we've faced Leicester and Chelsea in recent weeks. Obviously now we've got Liverpool at the weekend and the following game after that's Arsenal. I mean, I think realistically it was going to be a spell where Swansea were going to be towards the bottom of the division when you look at those games. So... Really, for me, if he's going to get sacked in the next week or two, he should never have been appointed um, on a full-time basis in the summer. He probably deserves a little bit longer, although he isn't uh, really um, convincing from my point of view. Um, like I said, that's why he, I wouldn't have appointed him in the summer. Cheers for that, Stephen. Uh, Adam, did you want to make a little point as well, then? Well, no, I was just going to say, I, think, I don't think you can really blame the Swansea board for giving him the job on a full-time basis, because if you look at last season when Gary Monk was there, I mean, me, obviously, I go to a lot of their games and everyone in the press box was thinking that Swansea were going to go down. It was obviously looking very bleak for them. And then as soon as Francesco Guidling came in, you've got to hand it to him. He actually did a really good job for the final kind of five, six months of the season. So I think it and Swansea really avoided relegation quite comfortably in the end. So I think it's a little harsh saying that, um, you know, you perhaps didn't think he deserved the job on a full time basis. And I don't know. Uh, there's obviously rumours of Ryan Giggs 
taking over, would you would you want Ryan Giggs instead of Guidolin? I'm open minded, really, on Ryan Giggs. You can't really have an opinion on someone that's never been uh, a full time number one, really. Um, yeah, it's a gamble. That's how you have to look at it. It could work. It could be awful. Who knows? Everybody's got to start somewhere. Who would so be that's your how you have to look at it. I don't choice. think anyone could give a definite opinion. Yeah, who would be your first choice to take over? To be honest, it's a difficult one. Um, I'm not sure if anybody massively stands out for me. Um, so the, Chris the big Coleman's problem, been linked. Yeah, um, I'm not sure he would take it. I think the big problem is, really, for me, whoever's in charge has still got to work with the same group of players. And in my opinion, this group of players is one of, if not the weakest, since Swansea have been in the Premier League. So that really is the main issue. I think Guidolin sort of had his hands tied by the fact that the board were controlling them. The transfers over the summer and when um, that's the problem and you look at the amount of profit that was generated from transfers I mean it's not really a surprise that Swansea have not made a great start although like I say the fixtures haven't been great but I think everybody really did anticipate a bit of a struggle this season because of that regardless of the manager like I say the manager Guidelin did do a reasonable job last season keeping us up I must admit the points tally was good how he got them wasn't how can I put it there were one or two games where Let's use we beat Aston Villa at home as a good example. One nil. For all that night we were awful. I know we beat Liverpool, but Liverpool made about eleven changes. Yeah. Um and then we beat Chelsea who made numerous changes as well as well. So that was that's one of the reasons really why I wasn't entirely convinced with him either. You see the I don't think the same would happen this year, um when you're playing against the top sides because most of them seem to have their house in order. So I think that's where my main concerns um are with Greedlin. Um like I said, I think personally he is a dead man walking. He won't be here much longer, as, as harsh as that may be at this stage. Yeah, it seems uh, for myself, I don't know about you, Stu, but as an outsider looking in at Swansea City, it seems like this could be like a, a very key part of the season for, for Swansea. And if they lose the next couple of games and they find themselves languishing down down the bottom end of the table, do they, do they stick or do they twist? Um, do they keep Guidolin or do they go and go out there and look for a, another manager who's going to sort of steady the ship and, and try and get them up the table a, a little bit. So I just think it's it's very important that they get the decisions right over over the next month or two with in, in terms of um, of the management. What do you think for, about that, Stu? Yeah, it feels big, doesn't it, this season for them? It feels feels really pivotal. Pivotal. You know, you're right in saying the next the next few games, next couple of months. Um, I think a clear decision, a clear way forward needs to be made and, and stuck to. It's definitely a time where you're going to get a little bit nervous and a lot of people are floating around Ryan Giggs' name as you said before and I'm not too sure what to, what to make of that really I mean if I was a Swansea fan I'd, I'd be wanting someone who's who's more proven who who, um, who understands the club maybe but certainly understands what management like is at the top level is and I don't think Giggs is short spells um, short, short spell at Man United as, uh, as caretaker uh, adds up to that really. Um, if if they were going to make a change, I think you'd have to you'd have to be someone really that you you could put your your, your house on that they keep them up. It feels like things have started to come away at, at the seams a little bit with Swansea. Like I'm hearing more and more about discord behind the club. Even things coming out about when um, Gary Monk was there and how he'd fell out with the owner. This is just all just an outsider's perspective. But going back, you know, three or four years. I never used to hear anything about a lot like that about Swansea. It always came across in the media how how well run the club was, how clear the vision was, how united it was, how harmonious it was, and it just doesn't quite feel like that at the moment. And I don't know 
apart from the, the choice of managers, I don't know what else has changed behind the scenes to to have created this this professional tension. Um, the buy, how the buys settle down that they made in the in the summer is going to be going to be absolutely crucial. And yeah, a, a big month ahead. Big month ahead on the pitch for me um, and off the pitch as well it is a leadership issue and. One of the the key issues to that for me is is the sale of Ashley Williams. I think it was um, a massive loss. I don't know whether Adam and Stephen are um, of that agreement. Obviously, he's pushing on 29, 30 years of age, and you've got good money for him. But I just think you've lost a massive amount of leadership and um, and and a force in in the dressing room there. I don't actually think they got enough money for him. If I'm honest, mm. if you look at the kind of cash that's going around for players these days. And he's still, you know, defend. You look at John Terry, he's still arguably Chelsea's best defender at 35. Mm-hmm. So Ashley Williams could theoretically still play for another four or five years at the top level. I, I don't think Swansea held out for enough money at all. And then you look at the players they bought in to replace him. You've got, got Mike van der Horn, who was struggling to get into the Ajax side. Um, you bought in Alfie Mawson from Barnsley, who's supposedly yet another next John Stones, but... You know, he's only young and how much he'll play this year, I'm not so sure. And then you've got guys like Jordi Amat, who I'm not entirely convinced by, Federico Fernandez. So, yeah, I think definitely there's there's issues there at the back. As you say, they seem to lack leaders now. And also, they not only lost their key defender from last year, they lost their main attacking threat as well in Andre Ayew, who went to West Ham United and... Uh, in the end, Bafatimbi Gomez, he started the season so well last year, but kind of from September onwards, he barely scored a goal. And Andre Ayew was actually playing as almost like a false number nine for most of the season. So they've lost him. And yeah, they brought in Fernando Llorente. Perhaps his days, his best days are behind him now at 31 or something years. I think he only scored four goals last season. Not sure what this Borja Bastin is like. He scored a lot of goals last year, so hopefully he can provide... Uh, a goal threat, but yeah, to lose both Ashley Williams and Andre Ayew were two massive losses for Swansea. Yeah, I agree. Ashley Williams, obviously, like I say, eight seasons, he was like the heartbeat of the defence. I know um, he was getting on a little bit, and in truth, maybe last season did make more mistakes than normal, but at Swansea side without Ashley Williams or with Ashley Williams is a fairly big difference. And we've already noticed it this season where a lot of the goals that have been conceived have been shocking. And there is a lack of leadership there, I think. And like I said, I think Van der Horn came into the team the other day and did a good job, to be fair, um, based on that one game. Alfie Mawson, is, he's the real replacement for Williams, I, I suppose, really, because Van der Horn was already here before the, the Williams sale. But Greedland doesn't seem to rate him a great deal at the moment because he hasn't played him. So that says a lot about in terms of have we adequately replaced him at this stage. And then Andre Ayew. I don't think he really suited um, the Swansea style in some ways because he doesn't give a great deal of balance. He would play wide right usually, and then quite often though he wouldn't. He'd be playing more as an inside forward than a winger. But then he did also play up front to an extent because last year the strikers we had were useless. So to be fair to him, he got 12 goals in what was a mediocre side, and now he's left. But really, his replacement's Nathan Dyer, who came back from a loan spell at Leicester. So that's very uninspiring, really. The, the, I think in general the fans were very frustrated by the summer at Swansea. I mean, up front, Lorente came in and Baston did. That was an upgrade, but that's not hard because our strikers last season didn't get double figures between them. And then I think a lot of other people wanted to see more, really. I mean, I would have shipped out a few people like Ki Sung Young, who were poor last year, but 
he still remains. And a lot of the fans wanted Joe Allen to come back. And obviously that didn't happen. And that was very frustrating. So I think really it's been a poor summer for Swansea. And I think that really is the issue. Like I said, Williams and AU going are two examples of, you know, it not being a very good uh, off season for Swansea. Excellent. Cheers. Are you both, uh, both you guys going to the game at the weekend? Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'm there. Yeah, both of you uh, in attendance then, spot on. Okay then, lads, what we're going to do now, um, we're going to head over to our quiz part of the show. What we do, Stephen, is um, five questions each between yourself and uh, and Stu, because Adam's on the, on both sides of the fence tonight. He's going to sit this one out. I've already spoke to him, and he's, uh, he's all right with that, aren't you, Adam? Yeah, I'll play adjudicator. Yeah, you can be the referee for me if you don't mind. <laughs> I, I was robbed last time I was on as well. Sorry, Stu, say again. <laughs> I was robbed last time I was on as well. <laughs> I'll make up for it tonight. That was the first game of the season, wasn't it, Stu? It was, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the Arsenal podcast with Raj. I'm not over it at all. No, definitely not. <laughs> so you need to make amends tonight then, Stu. Yeah. Right, okay then. Seeing as how Swansea are the home team, you can keep scores for us if you don't mind, Adam. Yeah, sure. While uh, Swansea's the home team at the weekend, uh, Stephen, I'm going to ask your question first. So, first question for you, Stephen, is in the 15-16 season, who scored the most goals in the Premier League for Swansea from Keeson Young, Gilfie Sigurdsson or Andre Ayew? It's Andre Ayew. That's correct. 12 goals. Key with 7 and uh, Sigurdsson just one behind with 11 well, yeah, correct answer. That's one to Stephen. Okay, then, Stu. In the 15-16 season, who scored the most goals for Liverpool in the Premier League from Divock Origi, Roberto Firmino, or Daniel Sturridge? Um, Firmino. Correct answer, yeah. He had uh, 10 goals, Sturridge with 8, Origi with 5. Next question for you, Stephen. From which club did Swansea City sign Fernando Llorente? Uh, it's Sevilla. Correct answer. Good, good lad. Okay, next one for yourself, Stu. From which club did Liverpool sign Divock Origi? Real. Good answer. Two apiece. Both flying here, lads. <laughs> getting, a, getting a little bit trickier now, though, um, with the next ones. Right, Stephen. Modu Barrow represents which international team? The Gambia. Very good answer, mate, yeah. Gambia is correct. Bloody hell. That's knowledge, that's the... He's the first ever Premier League player to represent them. That's probably one of the reasons why I know. Excellent Parent. stuff. Isn't one of his parents Swedish or something as well? Yeah, it is. Us Swansea signed him from the club up that way. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Okay, uh, Stu, your next question is, which international team... Does Liverpool centre-back Ragnar Klavan represent? Oh, um, Estonia. Good answer. It is Estonia, three apiece. Okay, fourth question for you, Stu. Uh, Stephen, sorry, Stephen. Which team did Swansea do the league double over last season? Was it Newcastle, Aston Villa or West Ham United? Aston Villa. It's another good answer. The only team they actually done the double over as well, wasn't it? Yeah. That says a lot about last season. <laughs> <laughs> right then, Stu. Liverpool beat Swansea 1-0 at Anfield last season. But well, who scored the goal in that game for Liverpool? 
<sighs> was it Christian Benteke, James Milner, or Daniel Sturridge? Um, um, James Milner. Very good answer. It was what a else? Milner penalty. So it's four apiece. Question left each. If, uh, if this goes to a tie-break, I'm going to have to get my finger out and get a question ready. Right. Fifth and final question for you, Stephen. Who had the worst disciplinary record for the Swansea last season? Was it Kyle Norton, Ashley Williams or Angel Rangel? That's what I don't know. But based on the fact that Kyle Norton had one red card, I'm going to say it's Kyle Norton. It's actually Ashley Williams. Okay. Top of the disciplinary chart, yeah. With a total of eight yellow cards. Um, Norton did have a red, but he only got two yellows. So. And Rangel got six yellow cards, so it was Ashley Williams, the answer to that one. Right, okay then, Stu. He's left the door ajar here, Pete. He has. Last penalty. You're looking down the keep- at the keeper here, Stu. You ready? Well, who received the most yellow cards in all competitions for Liverpool last season from Lucas Lever, Nathaniel Klein, or M. Ray Chan? Um, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Lucas. It's the wrong answer. Oh. It's M. Ray Chan with twelve. Oh. Lucas was bottom of the pile. He only had nine, and Nathaniel Klein had eleven. Devastating. So, what we're gonna have to do? is go to a tiebreaker situation. Right. What I'm going to have to do is when I read the question out, you say your name, whoever's first gets the chance to answer the question. You can be the adjudicator, okay, Adam? we see who comes in first. Yep. Right. In the 1996-1997 season, David Beckham scored an amazing goal from the halfway line. Which team was this against? Stephen. Stew. Wimbledon. You said, was that definitely Stu then, Adam? Yeah, Pretty sure it was. Yeah, I think it was just about. Yeah, and the answer is Wimbledon. Well done, Stu. You've made amends. <laughs> I felt the pressure then, Barbara. Bonus point to anyone named the keeper? Neil Sullivan. Sullivan. Very good. It was oh, Neil Sullivan, yeah. Sullivan. Fantastic. Excellent knowledge there, lads. Really good quiz. Four apiece, wasn't it? And down to a tiebreaker question. Just the one question wrong. Yeah, well done. I enjoyed that. That was good. Yes, very, very good quiz. Okay, what we're going to do now, just before we before we head off, lads, what we do each week is we play a, an unsigned band or an, an unsigned artist and we play some music. So what we're going to do tonight is play um, a track from a guy called Phil Cooper who's been in touch with us on uh, on Twitter asking us, can, can we play his track? So I'll just read you the little bio that he's sent me before I play the, the track. Phil Cooper, he is a contemporary singer-songwriter who has earned excellent reviews from the national press with his thought-provoking songwriting and energetic live performances, drawing comparisons to Neil Finn, Glenn Tilbrook and Ben Folds. During his live shows, Phil makes a real connection with the crowd, whether it's handing out dozens of egg shakers or passing around his doodle book for the audience to draw in and then pass it back at the end of the show. Every now and now and again, you'll catch Phil with his uh, unplugged guitar, shunning the stage to play in and amongst his captivated audience. So the song I'm going to play for you tonight is called Let It Fall by Phil Cooper.
got to see our life again the way it is. Let It Fall by Phil Cooper. 
Thanks very much, Stu, Stephen and Adam for joining us on the Cop Table preview of the Swansea City game, lads. Pleasure, mate. Thanks for having us on. Cheers, thank you. Thanks very much and uh, hope you guys will join us again in the uh, in the future if that's okay. Anytime, yeah, mate. Sure. Yeah, sure. Brilliant stuff, lads. Okay. So that's the Swansea City preview um, all done by the Cop Table. We'll be back next week with the... Sorry, the week after next we'll be back with the Manchester United preview when we have ex-Liverpool player Nick Tanner joining us. Plus um, a Manchester United guest possibly will be the head of the youth at Preston North End Football Club, Andy Livingston. But we just haven't got that one sorted with Andy yet. But definitely Nick Tanner, ex-LFC player on the next podcast. Thanks very much everybody for listening. Good night. Sing of the glory round the field.